This is the Humerian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. This is the Humerian Health Podcast. This is Dr. Sean Benzinger, and uh, we're doing a follow-up Q&A with author Tom Monte, who is the author of Unexpected Recoveries, Seven Steps to Healing Body, Mind, and Soul When Serious Illness Strikes. First of all, Tom, thank you for uh, joining uh, me today and uh, being willing to answer some of the questions um, that have come up since your since your podcast was posted. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Benzinger. So, Very much appreciate it. The truth of the matter is I think the, the, the keen interest in your book uh, is pretty solidly the, the following. Almost every human being, bar a few, have had some serious trauma of some sort, whether it be chemical, physical, spiritual, or otherwise, and your book seems to cross all those lines associated with it. Um, and when you work with people, do you have specific lines of illness that you need them to have gone through before you'll work with them or your book you think would help them? Uh, no. Um, I, I work with people with mild disorders or, or, or just everyday issues uh, all the way up to people who are very seriously ill. So there's no... All I need is someone who's interested in wanting to engage in, you know, using tools that work and they want to change. That's the most important aspects. Okay. And healing and hope is what seemed to have come through. <clears throat> Let me ask you this, because that, that's one of the ones that came came through. It's like, well, what, what gets somebody into a field like this? What gets somebody into understanding this was it time developed was it situational did you you know always as a kid kind of thought i just want to help people who are hurting how'd you get into this well that was the case when i was young absolutely from the very beginning of my life it was my intention to be of service it's just it was in my nature um and i developed certain i had certain abilities natural talents uh among them were the capacity to write and so in the beginning, I thought I would use my writing ability to spread information that would be practical and helpful to people. And, you know, in 1976, my, who was my girlfriend at the time, who later became my wife, um, we discovered a book called You Were All in Sampaku by George Asawa. It was about macrobiotics and about healing and health. And we began studying that. And in 1982, I... I, in 1980, actually, I encountered a medical doctor by the name of Anthony Settolaro who used a macrobiotic diet to overcome prostate cancer that had spread throughout his body. Wow. Um, so he was he was terminal, given up for dead. He was actually president of Methodist Hospital in Philadelphia, and so he became uh, that. I wrote an article for Saturday Evening Post. It became a very big event for the Saturday Evening Post. They got more letters than they've ever gotten for any article in the history of the magazine. Wow. And then I wrote a book about him that became a bestseller. And he, he and uh, Norman Cousins were the two major recovery stories of the, of the 1980s, and, and it became very famous. So uh, what happened from there was I just became more and more interested in the science of, of healing. And I, I learned as I wrote about more and more people who overcame serious illnesses, including I wrote about Nathan Pritik and a biography of him. But as I wrote about more and more people who became ill, became ill first and then became well after illnesses that their doctors told them were terminal, 
when I discovered this, I saw that they had very uh, common characteristics among them. And so they didn't do just one thing. They didn't just engage in a healing diet. They engaged in a multiplicity of uh, very, very important changes in their lives. I documented seven, seven major changes that people made. And those seven, major, those seven changes became the basis for Unexpected Recoveries, the book that I wrote uh, about Makes sense. people who overcome various illness. Yeah, the the idea of a traumatic event only affects one part of your body is just ridiculous. Even if you know you were in war and you lost a leg, you lost an arm, fingers, what, or or any other kind of trauma. I think that's the thing that's becoming clear. <clears throat> but unfortunately, because the healthcare system seems to be cut into individual specialties, it has created a a a, a backlog of you could have seven eight doctors when you needed one coordinator, and it sounds like you try to help them put together all the aspects of healing. It's not just an emotional pain. It might be a spiritual pain. It might be a physical pain. It might be, yeah, anyhow, I, I love it. And, and the chemistry alone goes along with it when we get that. So anxiety seems to be kind of, this is the next question, seems to be kind of the, the, the word. Um, it used to be that, you know, everybody and their mom was depressed. Uh, now it's depression and anxiety because they just can't handle the world the way it is. Um, and this person is struggling with severe anxiety um, and is struggling to find a way to overcome it, has been through some counseling, um, has tried some medication, but feels as though the anxiety now is controlling her life to a point where it's hard to take care of her kids, her husband, etc. Any advice as to how she could proceed a different pathway that might help her? Absolutely. Um, I have several things to say about anxiety. The first is, I wish she would look at complementary medicine, especially Chinese medicine. We have to understand that anxiety is caused by eating sugar and processed foods. And sugar raises insulin levels, glucose levels to very high points. The body recognizes that as an emergency, burns up the sugar rapidly, and drops the sugar levels, blood sugar levels below uh, fasting levels. When that happens, we go into anxiety. Sugar puts us on a roller coaster ride, causing, causing a net loss of serotonin in the brain, which is the neurotransmitter that creates sense of well-being, focus, and also treats anxiety. In the Chinese system, not only is it using you know, diet effectively, but they also understand the relationship between anxiety and the spleen. And what Chinese healers will do is treat the spleen with acupuncture, with herbs, and and other modalities that will uh, that are very very effective. So I wish the person number one would stop all sugar and all processed foods. That alone will help her. She has to increase all minerals and also increase unprocessed grains and vegetables, especially pulpy vegetables like squash, sweet potatoes, rutabaga, turnips, all the pulpy vegetables, and they all raise serotonin levels. They will keep serotonin levels elevated over time, and that will de decrease anxiety dramatically of itself. Once that happens, she'll be able to be stable. At the same time, she also should seek out an effective Chinese medical uh, practitioner using acupuncture and Chinese herbs, and it will be very, very helpful. That will, that will stabilize her further. If she gets healing touch, any variety of healing modalities, Jinshin Jitsu, acupressure, uh, Reiki, um, Shiatsu, 
therapeutic touch that will further reduce the anxiety levels. What you need is care. And once you start getting care, it'll change. Now, here's the thing. Anxiety is not just a biological problem. What happens within the psyche is that the psyche is always pressing us for becoming whole. And it will, it's always trying to feed us new information. But when we're afraid and we have ongoing chronic fear, we don't let new ideas come into our awareness. And it's possible that, hmm. first of all, you've got to do things biologically, but she also needs help uh, psychologically and spiritually to open up to whatever her inner life is trying to inform her to do and to, sure. and to guide her to ex- ex- embrace. So there's new information coming in from the inner world that wants to be examined. And she can only do that if she feels safe. So the first thing she has to do is treat herself biologically with, the, with, with food, exercise also dramatically lowers, balances brain chemistry and will lower anxiety. So Makes sense. there's a lot of things she can do and it will all work. Excellent. And I, 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 I'm glad to know that she's already used the medication and she's not having success with that. If she, if she does the food, she does exercise, she does Chinese medicine, she does healing touch and a variety of other things that will open up to her. And then she creates a setting with a, with a, with a counselor in which she can explore her inner life. She will overcome the anxiety and she will grow from the experience. Yeah, that does just makes so much sense. I, I, and my experience in the past owning a pain center was uh, the following, that some people were so nutritionally unfit that even the medications that should do something for specific conditions, pain conditions, et cetera, were unsuccessful simply because they didn't have the nutrition that was necessary to cause enzymes to react the correct way based upon the medication input. So, yeah, it all, it all goes together. It's not necessarily, and I've told many people, it, it might not have been that the medication was wrong. It might have been that you're too unhealthy to actually have it be successful. And in many cases, as you know, you don't need the medication, and sometimes you do. It just depends on the person. So I, I love that. For uh, those that are listening today, Tom Monte today, um, Unexpected Recoveries, we're doing our Q&A of questions that you've sent in after listening to the podcast that we were uh, fortunate to do with him. And Tom, uh, this is a this question comes from uh, someone that's struggling with um, a husband that has depression. Uh, the husband's uh, view of uh, mental health, etc., is that it's less manly, that he should be able to handle it, that you know he should be tough enough. The wife um, wanting to be a support but not, um, not a detractor uh, says that she's just trying to figure out how does she love him through this season? How does she... Um, uh, what kind of recommendations from a different standpoint, not just for the husband, but specifically for the wife, of how does she be an encourager, not a badger, or not a... And this could be the way. Uh, you could switch it to uh, opposite wife's depressed uh, husband. It's the same thing. How do we as spouses come alongside um, a spouse that's really struggling with depression but has not chosen to do anything about it, which is, of course, the uh, uh, that's kind of rock, rock in a hard place, but... What do we what do we do as spouses that you recommend that might help lead without overtly forcing it? Right. Well, there's a variety of things that that can be done that can be very very effective. The first is we have we have to understand depression, and I don't know that uh, people actually approach depression in, in a in a way that understands that depression is basically powerless anger based on profound disappointment. 
and people who are angry and who don't have an outlet for it, don't have a healthy outlet for it. It's like basically the, the life force is blocked by two beliefs, and the two beliefs are I can't be who I want to be in this life, and I can't have what I want to have. And those two beliefs, which are just beliefs, are not true, but they can be very, very powerful, and they block the life force. They block us from proceeding. And so when we encounter the belief that I can't become the man or the woman I want to be, I can't have what I want to have, the re first reaction is anger, powerlessness, and that soon becomes depression. And it changes brain chemistry, it lowers serotonin, it sometimes raises dopamine or it lowers both serotonin and dopamine and creates profound depression. So what we have to do is this. The first thing we can do is change the food. She can do that just by, you know, increasing far more serotonin-boosting foods, which are all unprocessed carbohydrates, sweet potatoes, squash, brown rice, quinoa. She can do a plethora of vegetables, root vegetables. They all raise serotonin, and they will raise it relatively quickly. Got to get all sugar out of the diet because that will cause de that will further depression. But it's very, very important to, for, for her standpoint to, to not criticize, but ask, you know, let's talk about, you know, whatever it is that's bothering you. And, and if she could just create the conditions where he is allowed to speak about his, his feelings of anger, his feelings of powerlessness, his feelings of di profound disappointment. You know what? What she has to understand, and I hope that somebody will eventually say this to this man, if it's a man, but I, I'm, I'm presuming it is her. She's saying her husband. She has to. She has. To, we have to understand that a man's journey is very much ultimately not about a macho image, but ultimately the essence of manhood is a confrontation with truth. That is to say, confronting problems with deep honesty and the recognition that that requires tremendous courage to face one's dilemma, one's challenges the big issues that we face in life and to do and, and to be direct and honest and know that I will change myself if it, if that's what it takes to overcome this problem, or I will let go of whatever it is that I'm holding on to a belief that no longer is true, no longer valuable to me. So I think if we change the diet, if we start a new conversation and the conversation has to be from the wife's perspective, she has to say, I want to tell you about some of the struggles I'm having my life and let him hear her, not her wanting to change him, but reflecting on her own struggles and also how much she needs him. But eventually she can just by be, her being honest about her own internal uh, struggles, it can prompt him to do the same. In any case, she's got to get him talking about his, whatever it is that he's angry about or profoundly disappointed with. And ultimately he's going to have to seek out support. It should be preferably a man he speaks to and a man who really uh, supports him, who, who recognizes the good and the strength and promotes the good and the strength in him and at the same time allows him, gets him to talk about the anger and the disappointment and what can be done about that. So I think deeply, the, the, the deeper issue is can I receive love? A lot of men have been trained to believe that we have to get by in life without actually receiving an opening to love. And that macho image or that feeling that I have to be independent, I, I don't need help, and if I do need help, I'm a weak man, is a complete lie. And it's just it's against the order of the universe. So what we have to do is open up. Among the other things that we can do 
and we might consider, the, the wife can certainly consider this, become engaged in a, a, some kind of community, a church community, synagogue, temple, whatever it is that your spiritual background is, or just become engaged in a, some kind of educational tool, like people studying various kinds of religions or, or spiritual practices, or go to yoga, or go, but go someplace and bring your husband. And, and go carefully, before you make the choice, make it carefully, make it from your gut, feel into a lot of different choices, go together. Very often the husband will accompany the wife to a talk on meditation. And all of a sudden, he becomes interested. I think I'm going to try this. It doesn't require anything. I just get and, and transcendental meditation or other forms of meditation, chanting. There's all kinds of things that people can do. That if she does it, if she gets out of the house with him and she starts to do take him with her, he will pick up on the study of whatever it is, and that will inspire him. So there's lots of opportunities, but she's got to look outside the box. She's got to look outside the family. She's got to look outside of what she can do. She needs help outside. She's got to seek that help, and then she's got to bring her husband to it. Anything that a man can learn, that he can, it's a tool, like TM or some kind of spiritual practice, sure. it, can, it can really change a person's life. So that, that is among the things she can do. Mm. I think you gave a lot there. I mean, that's, that's fabulous. I, I know over the years of my practice— one of the oddities is whenever I see a patient come in and I sit down with them in a consult and and uh, it, it says, um, the reason for being, wife told me to. Um, that's <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, a really, right. it's a really tough one. So, it, and, and the way I always start those out are is very clear. <clears throat> for whatever reason that they're there, they think they don't want to be there. That's the first thing. So the first thing I tell them is, well, let's go through the appointment. Let's talk about uh, what's going on. What you see is is uh, you know a problem that you would like to get corrected or improved. And uh, if at the end of what our session is today that it doesn't make sense to you and you don't think it will help you, uh, no harm, no file. You leave um, and you won't come back. And uh, usually, whenever I'm able to do that and there is no pressure, ninety uh, percent follow through. Ten percent will bail, but about 90%. And I think yeah. that comes back to that. You said it right up front, safety, uh, creating a safe place. <clears throat> also not guilting them into it makes a huge difference. The spouse that says, yeah, you're ruining our life because of your depression. And, you know, I'm really affected by it because of what it's really tough. It, it's like, it's more guilt and more guilt and more guilt. And who knows where that depression came from. So I love that you have a multi layered plan for them to approach. I, I think that's a wonderful answer, and I thank you. Last question of the day. Um, this person says they struggle with work-life balance. She, uh, they have the truest, best intentions to put work down at night, uh, but just doesn't seem to be able to do so. Uh, do you have any recommendations? Yes. Um, the first thing is... Uh, I think everyone's suffering from this across the board. So it's a, almost a universal problem in modern America. We're all secretly workaholics in one way or another. And what that does to brain chemistry is it raises dopamine levels and norepinephrine and puts us in fight or flight or, or high tension levels, high anxiety. And it's very, very hard to come down from those intense levels. So I, I think this is a, a, a universal struggle. First thing we have to realize is that 
the more you are on the computer, say, for example, for beyond 8 o'clock, and, and that's actually the outer limit, but preferably no computer beyond 8 o'clock. You have to stop. You just no email, no, no anything. Just stop the computer at 8 o'clock because that will drive dopamine levels up and you will never unwind and you'll be thinking all night and you, your body will suffer. As dopamine levels go up, the whole body is in a state of agitation that wants to exercise. In other words, we, 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 dopamine uh, elevates uh, smooth muscle function, uh, heart rate, respiration. It puts us in more of an aggressive posture. The body wants to work out those elements. In other words, dopamine wants to be burned in terms of physical exercise. If you don't have physical exercise, it's, those dopamine levels are going to stay, and they're going to cause agitation right through the night. And remember, serotonin is a neurotransmitter that actually creates deep sleep. It creates focus, concentration, and deep sleep. It creates optimism, positive thoughts. It is the basis for a lot of what we do in terms of you know, our capacity to relax at night. So we have to think we cannot overstimulate ourselves beyond a certain point, beyond a certain hour. Second thing is... Find something that you really enjoy that you can do that is, an, that is an exercise you can do for a few minutes. And one of the most powerful forms of exercise that I have found that really works, and you don't have to do it for long, is rebounding. You can get a little trampoline for your office. Good idea. You put the handlebars on there, and you jump anywhere from 3, 2, 10, or 15 minutes, depending on your conditioning. But you can do it for three minutes. Believe me, it's a workout. And for, for five or six or eight minutes, jumping on a trampoline is very, very powerful. When people look it up on Google, they find out what the exercise benefits are from trampoline bouncing. They're enormous. They change lymph. They change circulation. They you know, dramatically lose weight. It really works. So rebounding is, is, a, is, a, is a very good thing to do. And it will also burn dopamine and it will cause us to relax. So I think some form of exercise, it's also very, very important to become entrained in some kind of music at night. In other words, if people start to put on relaxing music, it will change their brain chemistry very, very rapidly. In other words, if you don't watch television for a little while or not at all at night, but people watch TV, okay, fine. But if you watch a little, you listen to a little bit of music first, it will change your brain chemistry. It'll help you relax. And time is actually, if you're married, nighttime is a, is a time when people really are meant, what the, what the biology is doing, is they're, up, they're giving both spouses up for greater intimacy. In other words, it's a time to slow down and reflect on the day and talk. And as that talking, it's a form of lovemaking, just talking about what's happening in your life. And it's very, very important to learn to talk about one's feelings without blaming oneself or blaming another. And the practice is, is very easy to learn if we can just observe ourselves from a, from a little distance, learning to observe ourselves and witness all that we have gone through that particular day. Mm -hmm. What that does is it awakens compassion. People suffer during the course of the day. There are 10,000 little insults or little, or little encounters or right. events that cause stress. And we don't really, we, we get inside those events and we don't give ourselves a chance to sort of step back 
and witness what they've done to us, not about blaming this or that ourselves for these things having happened, but rather just stepping back a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, and just looking at the event as something that happened to us and without blaming. And, and when we do that, we start to examine those events with a certain compassion. And when you share that with somebody else, your heart opens and there's greater intimacy, there's greater connection with each other. And so those two, those people who do that at night are doing what nighttime really calls for, relaxing, opening, embracing each other, coming into a deeper intimacy with each other. So I think another thing that's very, very important is be very, very careful about what one eats. I always recommend this, and this will work for all the questions that were given us, given to people. Just do the following. Identify four comfort foods or drinks that you use during you know, normal ways to deal with stress and give them up for 30 days. Just try that. And when people do that, what they do is they find themselves, they discover, this is what it feels like to be strong. This is what it feels like to be me. It's amazing. You can use other substitutions for foods that you like, sweets and that sort of thing. There's dates, there's raisins, there's all kinds of helpful snacks. I have lots of them in my book that you can use to substitute. But if you give up just for 30 days, it's all you have to do. Just try it as an experiment and see what your life feels like. That will be enough for people to say, wow, I feel like I, I can't be budged. I feel so rooted in my life and rooted in the positive that it, it makes me feel really, really strong. When people do that and they go to work, they're less affected by all the challenges that we face in our work. And we find it much easier to relax at night. So um, I would say reduce television, no computer, a little bit of exercise, music, talking, and some serotonin-boosting food at night if you want a snack that will not, not raise serotonin and lower it rapidly like sugar, but a sweet thing that will cause uh, you know, a healthful reaction of your blood sugar. Excellent. Excellent. Okay, <clears throat> that's what we've got, four questions. Uh, uh, Tom, thank you so much for coming and, and taking these questions and putting it in a, a user-friendly way uh, based upon your book, Unexpected Recoveries. So first of all, thank you for joining me today and our, and our listeners. Thank you so much, Dr. Benzinger. And if I could just say that people can reach more, reach me at tommonte.com. Uh, I'd be happy to entertain questions from my website and so forth. Very kind of you. I appreciate that. And for the listeners today, uh, realize that our what we're trying to do is to be, bring experts in their field to your, your doorfront to allow you to be able to actually have questions uh, answered, and then we will update you as to when they're going to be answered and uh, be able to allow us to uh, live our best life. And we thank you for joining us. Look for you next time, and may God bless. Amy Baker, Dr. Sean Benzinger. Humarian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts. For the well-being of yours. That's right. Thanks for having the guts to listen to the Humarian Health Podcast. If you have things you'd like to gut check, send us an email at gutcheck at humarian.com. 